Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. Sitka's municipal elections may soon be getting an update. When the Sitka Assembly met last night, it approved on first reading code changes that would establish early voting as a new option for local voters. Technically, the only way to vote early in Sitka's municipal election every October is by voting absentee. Since the COVID pandemic began, in-person absentee voting has increased substantially and hasn't tapered off to pre-pandemic levels. In 2022, 696 Sitkins voted early in person. That's more than double the absentee in-person votes from 2019. But absentee votes are counted on the Friday following the municipal election, regardless of whether a vote was cast in person or through the mail. If the Assembly finalizes the new code, Sitkins who choose to vote early in person will see their votes counted on election night. The new code would also change the requirements for municipal election candidates. Currently, city code suggests candidates must submit a photo, advocacy statement, and biographical information to the city clerk's office in order for their names to be listed on the ballot, but it's not actually required. A language tweak would clarify that those documents are optional. We'll have more on the Assembly's discussion on early voting on Raven News tonight at 518. It's an unpleasant fact for everyone who eats fish in Alaska. Mercury is in the food chain, and it's particularly prevalent in seafood. And while the amount of mercury found in Alaska seafood remains far below dangerous levels, a pair of researchers want to keep an eye on it long term. The best way to do this, they've found, is not by testing fish coming over the docks, but by testing human hair. They're in Sitka to report the findings of a pilot study begun five years ago. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Todd O'Hara is a veterinarian, but don't bring him your cat to be spayed. I'm a veterinarian who has a PhD in toxicology. I've never had any desire to be a clinical veterinarian. Uh, I've applied my veterinary degree uh, to wildlife and fish research in toxicology and environmental agents of disease. O'Hara is a researcher with Texas A&M and the University of Alaska Fairbanks, A lot of pathologists who study human disease are veterinarians, which is not surprising when you consider how closely humans and animals are linked on this planet. Maggie Castellini, however, is not a veterinarian. Maggie's a marine mammal physiologist, by the way. I don't think she mentioned that. (laughs) She's actually trained in marine mammal physiology. That's correct. Which greatly applies to what we do. We'll come back in a moment to why a marine mammal physiologist is important to research about mercury in seafood. Castellini, until last summer, was with the UAF College of Natural Sciences and Mathematics, working in the vet department. In 2018, she and O'Hara won funding from the National Institute of Health to study the accumulation of mercury in the marine food web. The pair had often been to Sitka for the annual symposium on humpback whales called Whale Fest, and the community, they realized, provided a diverse pool of people who live closely with the marine environment. They launched a pilot study hosted by the Sitka Tribe of Alaska and began to collect samples not of the sea creatures consumed by Sitkins, but of human hair. 
which can reveal a lot about the head it's growing out of. Hair is just a really easy tissue to be able to work with. It's a very good indicator of mercury in the rest of the body. It's obviously very easy to sample. You don't have to, you know, stick a needle in somebody or anything like that. Um, We would just take a very small, maybe about the width of a pencil from the very back of a Mm -hmm. person's scalp. Um, and just cut it right close to the scalp, and that's all you need to do. It's, it doesn't hurt, and you can't even tell that the hair has been cut away. So it's, uh, it's really nice to be able to do effective monitoring with such an easy collection and, and also something that's pretty easy to analyze as well after the fact. The pilot study tested mercury levels in the hair of 70 subjects, both in Sitka and in another smaller community in southeast Alaska. The objective was to be as broad-based as possible rather than focus on any specific ethnic group or demographic, really broad-based. One of the things we like is when vegans and vegetarians participate in a study because that shows us sort of a control, non-meat-consuming person. So we had a vegan here. The upshot of the study is that the tested population showed mercury levels far below the cutoff for the World Health Organization. O'Hara says most people came in at around one part per million of mercury. A couple of people were at five parts per million. The WHO cutoff is 10 parts per million. This is good news for Alaskans who live by and from the sea, but it's not the full story. Mercury accumulates in different species at different rates. O'Hara and Castellini want to expand mercury monitoring to better specify any risk. For a long time, the types of advisories that would be sent out, and there still are in some parts of the country, basically treat all fish as equal, right? You know, don't eat more than this many meals of fish a week if you're a woman who's of mm-hmm. childbearing age. But that's not at all true with mercury. Some species of fish have vanishingly small amounts of mercury because of their lifestyle, whereas others, you know, especially the bigger ones, can have fairly high. The gape, right. the size of the mouth will dictate trophic level in a lot of fish. The bigger the fish, the larger fish they can consume, and those tend to be at a higher position in the food web. And higher still are marine mammals. Alaska, the pair agree, has a pretty good advisory system for fish, but not for the animals that eat those fish and then are consumed by people, primarily Alaska natives. So we would like to include marine mammals in our study to give people here in Southeast Alaska, better representation of their diet. Some places are famously contaminated with mercury. San Francisco Bay with Gold Rush-era mining residue. Minamata Bay in Japan with industrial mercury at such high concentrations that the resulting neurological damage is called Minamata disease. Alaska's mercury is less likely to be caused by human activity. There's naturally occurring cinnabar, for example, and volcanoes. O'Hara and Castellini hope that their pilot study with the National Institute of Health will take off into more permanent monitoring of mercury in coastal Alaska. They see monitoring as an incentive to a healthy diet rather than a deterrent. If that's all people hear about, then they start to be afraid to eat good, healthy foods. And so it's really nice to be able to get a broad study where we can look at at communities and say, you might eat a lot of fish, but your mercury concentrations in general are still not that high. And it's, it's a good reassurance. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Researchers O'Hara and Castellini will report to the public on their mercury study at 6 p.m. tonight in Harrigan Centennial Hall. 
A Ketchikan resident's request to have a book removed from the local library shelves will face a public hearing today. KRBD's Eric Stone has more. The book in question is Let's Talk About It, The Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and Being a Human by Erica Moen and Matthew Nolan. Ketchikan resident Tanya Hedlund submitted the request to the library earlier this year asking for the book to be pulled, citing what she describes as sexually explicit material. In her request to remove the book, Hedlund said the book, quote, belongs in an adult bookstore. She objected to portions of the book discussing anal sex, sexting, and pornography, along with illustrations of sex acts. Hedlund indicated in the February 10th request that she had not read the entire book, but had seen pictures of some of the book's pages. Random House, the publisher of the 240-page graphic novel, pitches it as a resource for teens to learn more about themselves, their identities, and their bodies. The request to pull the book from the library's teen nonfiction section first went to the library's head of children's services, Amy Topfer. She wrote Hedlund a letter declining to pull the book. She said the library encourages parents to accompany their children to the library to select material that they feel is appropriate for their family. Topfer also pointed to reviews praising the book. The School Library Journal, a trade publication for librarians, called it, quote, real talk about relationships and sex. Headland appealed to Ketchikan Public Library Director Pat Tully, who also declined to remove the book. Tully said the library's collections serve a wide range of interests and beliefs in an effort to serve Ketchikan's diverse community. She said material that some find offensive might be useful and appropriate for others. Headland appealed again, this time to the Ketchikan Public Library Advisory Board. The board is scheduled to hold a public hearing on the request on Wednesday. After taking comments, the board is expected to discuss the request to pull the book. The board may also hold a non-binding vote on a recommended course of action, according to Tully. The advisory board meeting is scheduled for 6 p.m. Wednesday. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. The Juneau School District and its teachers' union hope to agree on a new contract this week. If they don't, negotiations could be headed to arbitration. Juno Education Association President Chris Heideman says meetings scheduled for Thursday and Friday are critical. If they can't reach an agreement, they'll go to arbitration, meaning a third party would hear both sides and come up with a solution. Heideman says teachers are feeling demoralized. They don't feel valued and, and they're just tired. And that's starting to show up in, in our resignations. We already have... Um, over 35 people that have officially put in their paperwork to leave the district at the end of the year. Cassie Olin, the district's director of administrative services, says reaching an agreement by the end of the school year would be ideal. Then the district could revise its budget before the start of the fiscal year if needed. We've made a lot of steps in progress in the eight, in at least this last six days that we've done mediation, so there's hope that we can Um, get this through and come to an agreement and a contract before this year's out. The teacher's previous contract expired in June 2022. The union declared an impasse with the district in January. And that's all for Raven Roos for this hour. You can listen to or read our stories again on our website at kcaw.org. Well, it's coming up on 701. This is Morning Edition on Raven Radio, KCAW, Sitka.